If you're visiting with us or if you're joining online, listening online for the first time, uh, we are uh, doing a class called the Hall of Faith where we study Hebrews 11, which is a chapter filled with individual after individual uh, from the Old Testament times who exemplified and defines and shows what living by faith is all about. And throughout Hebrews 11, you find a pattern over and over and over again of such and such by or through faith did something. And we've looked at a number of those. Uh, tonight, we continue with our eighth person. We've skipped a few, but uh, we're looking at Barak, or there might be another way to pronounce that name. I'm calling him Barak. Uh, his name is Barak tonight. Um, and so we're looking at him. He's in Judges chapter 4. If you want to look there uh, in your own Bible or on your phone tonight, uh, we'll spend essentially all our time there, uh, there tonight in Judges chapter 4. The further we go down in Hebrews 11, at least for me, kind of when you get past to this sentence that we're on, you start to get some names of people that their stories might not be as familiar to you uh, as some others. You know, when we think of Noah or Moses or Abraham, they're somewhat popular. Barak, Jephthah, I, I don't know if those individuals are as widely known, their stories, so that might be interesting for you to, to look at a story you haven't heard in a while or isn't as popular. I know it has been for me. And tonight we're at Barak. And Barak is one of the... Well, we'll get into this in just a second. Here, here's what it says in Hebrews 11. In verse 32 through 34, same sentence as last week. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, who that was last week, of Barak, of Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, and became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Um, once again, at this point in time, it's the preacher saying, and there's a lot more examples of this that I won't spend a lot of time on. Uh, and when it comes to Barak, while there's not something specific, if you wanted to apply a few of those statements, you could say they enforce justice. I think that might apply to him. You could say he, um, you could say he uh, became mighty in war or put foreign armies to flight. Those would apply, and we'll see that story as we start in Judges 4. If you're unfamiliar with the book of Judges, I think this section in Judges chapter 2 explains what goes on in the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 2, we're after the time of Joshua, who's been the leader of Israel. And he warns them to not be unfaithful, to not fall away. But that's exactly what these generations afterwards do. And it would say that the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods. What, what language, by the way, that is. They whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices of their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant, that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. 
in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. That's the setting you're in. That's the, the cycle you find over and over again of they turn to sin, they do what evil in the sight of the Lord, what's right in their own eyes. A nation comes, conquers them, kicks them out, oppresses them in some way. They cry out to God after a period of time. He is loving and kind toward his people, and so he would save them by raising up a judge. As long as that judge is alive, great. And then once the judge dies, they go right back to idolatry, falling into their own way until they cry out again. And there goes that circle, you know, just over and over again. And it gets, seems to get worse over time as well. And when it comes to Barak, he is one of the individuals that is used to uh, bring about justice. Um, before the story of Barak, uh, we have a man named Othniel. He was a judge for eight years. There was 40 years of rest because of that, there's Ehud, who was a judge for 18 years. There was 80 years of rest. There was Shamgar, who is right before um, Barak that we're looking at tonight. I, Shamgar, I feel bad for because he gets all these guys get a story or a section, and Shamgar gets a verse. <laughs> you know, uh, listen. I think all of us would say, if I got one verse in the Bible saying I did something good, we take it, right? Uh, but all these people get these long stories, and Shamgar is like the. Uh, what are they, he's an extra in the story. You know those people that are just like, hey, look, I'm in the scene, I'm in the scene. And you were just a waitress in a coffee shop for 25 seconds in that movie. Uh, but Shamgar gets a verse in cha- at the end of chapter 3. And then you get to chapter 4. And this is where we will get introduced to Barak. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, it shows you this story over again. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Ehud being one of the judges. And so they turned again to evil, and here is this pattern restarted. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in good luck. Uh, Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Uh, So they sinned, they get fallen into oppression, uh, there's King Jabin. You know, a lot of the movies we, we see with bad kings or bad leaders uh, or bad presidents, whatever you want to make it, they typically have like a second-in-command guy that's a big bad guy too. You get this idea of there is cruel King Jabin, and there's also this man named Sisera, the commander of the army, and they seem to be quite afraid of him based off the writings we hear. Um, he's the commander of a large army. Do you see the number it says there? 900 chariots of iron. I mean, for this time, that is an impressive um, force that they had. It says they oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. I think we all have a hard time understanding what that must have been like to be oppressed for 20 years because we are so blessed in this country. You know, like you look overseas and you see countries where there are cruel regimes that, that rule them. Um, and, and here for us, it's like we don't, you know, we complain about our government at times. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Um, but we, we have these things where maybe we don't like some of their decisions, but we're not oppressed in the same way. And we'll see some of this as we go on. But they are oppressed for 20 years, and they cry out. Um, oh, here's how bad it was, by the way. In Judges 5, when they sing their victory song, here's what it says. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose, I, Deborah, 
arose as a mother in Israel. Kind of saying, hey, no one traveled there. There's not tourists. They don't walk the main roads. They, they sneak around. They take the off roads. There's not just people villaging or camping out, you know, in these popular areas because they are oppressed. Can you imagine a life like that where you're ducking and hiding and going through pathways and where no one wants to come visit your town or your, your city because that's how bad it is? That is the idea we get here. And so this is a situation we're in and the Lord raises up a judge, but it's not who you think. It's, it's not Barak who we're looking at tonight. In verse 4 and 5, it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. Um, what is so shocking about this judge? She's a woman. Why is that shocking? Like we got Judge Judy, don't you know? We, we see. What did you say, John? No, we don't see this. I mean, at this time, really, you see typically male leadership. You know, um, very patriarchal society. Um, just women in positions of leadership. Um, all of that stuff. It's very rare. So that's what's shocking to us. Is she is, if I'm correct, the only female judge. Uh, I believe she's the only female judge in this whole book that we read about. And then in some of the first Samuel, you know, section two, but she's the only female judge. That's shocking. Um, it's rare in Bible times, period. Uh, but it's rare, especially in Israel. Um, you know, why did God choose to use a woman as a judge when that doesn't seem to fit the typical mold? You know, there are suggestions that you can read about that people make. One very common one is that this is an indictment. Uh, on the weak-willed men of Israel at this time. Um, you know, because the men were weak and they were unfit to judge, God chose a woman to judge. Like, okay, men, if you're going to be that weak and not do your role and not be the type of men you are, I'm going to raise up Deborah. That could be the case. We don't know. I, I heard a story about a small, small church somewhere in America, and they wrote to one of my professors in school, and they said, we're a really small church, and we're having a hard time because none of the men will do anything in our worship services. They won't preach. They won't sing. And so a couple of women have had to do it. Like, are we okay? <laughs> One of the professors wrote back sarcastically and said, you're okay. You have no men in that congregation. And he was just trying to make a point of your men aren't fulfilling their role. And I, maybe that's the case here of he raised up a woman because men, you're not doing this. Um, and, but here's the thing. Does it say that in the text? No. That could be the case, but it just simply says Deborah was judging Israel at the time, and God used her. And so we're not sure. There's another suggestion that maybe this was a sign of God's comforting presence in the midst of his oppressed and downtrodden people. Um, look, we can make assumptions, but the text just says he raised a judge, it was Deborah, and that's who he used. To have a woman be a judge? I mean, it could be, I don't know. It could be, I'm not sure, but if you notice, men seem to come to her for judgment, if you look at this verse. Um, so, we can assume there's weak leadership, and if you read the book of Judges, one thing you do find is bad leadership. Because what do they do every time the judge dies? We go right back to sin, you know. Each generation leaves what they were, uh, leaves the covenant with God. So, uh, we can assume that, but there's not a reason specifically given for Deborah being chosen. God chose her, God used her, and I think God can make the choices he makes, and that's okay. Uh, 
He used women. She's a prophetess. He, he did that too. So, um, but here's the interesting thing. The judge is not Barak, it's Deborah. Yet who's mentioned in Hebrews 11? Barak. So it's just interesting for us. We go, well, why didn't you mention Deborah? There's other women we've studied in Hebrews 11. We don't know. But, you know, some people want to kill Barak for letting Deborah be in this position. Um, you know, they, they make it sound like Barak's weak. He's mentioned in Hebrews 11. Uh, and so it's just a very interesting uh, situation we have. She makes judgments here, as you see. I'm not saying she's actually Judge Judy. But I guess you'd have situations where there might be some issues in daily life or communal life, and they would go to her to make judgments. It sounds a lot like Moses in Exodus chapter 18. There'd be times with the law and the covenant or, or when people would have issues and they needed a judge to rightly uh, address the situation, they would go to him. He would make a judgment. Same thing for her. She was like the wise counsel that made decisions. So she is the judge. If you read verse 6 and 7, here's what happens. It says, She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. What is she saying there, essentially? Hey, God said it's time. You know, I'm going to give them over in your hand. I'm, I'm raising up uh, the person to save you. I'm going to use you. It's, it's time. Okay, victory is here. And so she says, Barak, go. What's interesting is she doesn't go. At, well, she's not saying I'm going to go. She says, Barak, you go. And a lot of the stories in the book of Judges, the judges are involved physically in the battle. They're involved in this physical judgment, this justice that comes. But Deborah is not the warrior here. Why might that be? She's a, she's a woman. Um, women didn't fight in wars then. And so maybe that's the case. But she says, hey, God has said, Barak, it's time. You're going to go and this is going to happen. Uh, God is giving Sisera into your hand. And this is where we get the interesting response of this story in verse 8. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Okay, question. Why wouldn't he go without her? Bible doesn't tell us. I'm just, if we speculated, which is dangerous, but just why might be a reason Barak would not go on his own? Maybe it's a Lord's anointed kind of thing. Okay, explain. What do you mean by that? David followed Saul. Yeah. So, like, she's the judge. So, hey, if you're the judge, if you go, I'll go. I'll follow you. You're the one he picked. Okay, that makes sense. That could be it. What? Why else do you think could be the case? Hey, we're speculating. There's not a wrong answer here. I'm not going to kill you up here. Tell you how. I'm not going to say that's a bad answer per se. What do you think? I hope not. That would be, I hope he didn't think that. That would be terrible. But, you know, it's, I'm, I'm scared of what might happen out there. You go ahead. Yeah. What what's someone say? Johnny? Hey, he, he may not have felt good about himself, but he, he must have felt that, that God was with Deborah. You know, there's an interesting way you could take this, right? You could take it that there's something negative about him, or you could take it that he had a lot of faith in her, or what God had chosen in her. 
Um, Mike, do you have your hand up? Yeah, it's just the same, pretty much the same thing. She, she represented, you know, she, the word of God came to her and not him. Yeah. And so he wanted her presence there as an affirmation that yeah. he's, he's in the right place. He's doing the thing he's supposed to do. Yeah, if you, if you read into this, you'll read people and they'll say things like, you know, he's afraid of Sisera. Could have been. That maybe he was insecure and had doubts. Well, he'd be human if he had that. And maybe he did. Um, maybe he wanted the reassurance. Um, he might have had a lot of faith and this is the woman God picked. And there is this reassurance there with that. Um, does his response impact your view of him? Like, does this make you think he has a greater faith or a weaker faith? A weaker faith. He didn't have enough confidence in what she'd asked him to do to, to follow without her coming along. So he didn't seem to have maybe as much confidence as that. Okay. Marty, got a thought? Yeah. I, I like that you're saying the text doesn't tell us because it does leave it, us to speculate on all of this. But he, he does what she says. Yep. He doesn't say, I'm not going to do that. You're you're a girl. <laughs> yeah. He says, "All right, let me let me do it, but but I need you to go with me." And to me, it, it's a lot of what Mike was saying. She's she's the one who gives him the message from God, and when he gets on the road to go into battle, there might be some other decisions that need to be made, and he might need some more counsel besides this. Yeah. So I mean, there's just all kinds of possibilities. But, yeah. Um, it's speculation, and I'm asking these questions. Just to get your brain moving before we talk about some of the things that we apply it to. But understand, it doesn't tell us he's wrong for asking this or he has a weak faith. He's mentioned in Hebrews 11, so clearly he's a man of faith. But just ask it. Uh, there, then you. Okay, sorry. I don't know what my conclusion is about it, but she told him uh, in verse 7 um, I'll, uh, that, that God said, I will lure Sisera, Sisera, commander of Jabin's forces, his chariots, his armies at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you, and I will hand him over to you. So she's quoting, she's telling... This uh, is what God has said. What God said. God said, I'm going to hand this you know, this other army over to you. And then <coughs> he says, well, you need to go with me. And then she says, uh, the, the Lord will sell Sisera into a woman's hand. So it's going to be, you know, if, if he was just going to go, that, that makes me think if he was just going to go, then it would be handed over to him and he would receive the honor. Yeah, we haven't read that verse yet, but you're right. It's, if, okay, if you would have just went on your own, maybe you would have been given over to him. I'm not saying you're jumping ahead or anything, um, but it's, maybe you would have given him over to Barak's hand, but instead it's going to say a woman gets the glory. What do you, what'd you have? We're looking at verse 6, and uh, where she says to him, you know the instructions. Mm-hmm. So he'd gotten the instructions, but she's now coming up and said she reinforces those instructions. So she must have them too. And he figures if I leave her behind, I may be, you know, cutting the orders in half. Yeah. I, it's interesting. I, I read that, the question, and you're like, okay, did he already get the orders? But you find this phrase, like, has the Lord not commanded you a lot in Scripture? Like with Joshua, has the Lord not commanded you to be strong and courageous? But yet it seems to be like the first time he's hearing it. So I don't know some of that. It's interesting. Uh, but I'm just asking, and, and we'll get to the point why. But he says, I'll go if you go. And here's her response to that. Uh, verse 9 and 10. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. 
And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. And so um, she agrees to go, um, but she does have that caveat. Okay, I'll, I'll go with you, but understand a woman's getting the glory here. Like this is not, you're not going to get all of the glory for this, um, but a woman will. And we'll see how that turns out in a few moments. Um, and she, she goes up and gets, that could have been a consequence for the lack of male leadership here. It could have been a consequence that he wasn't willing to go on his own. Um, we can we don't know that for sure. It could have been, could have, would have, should have, I guess, is part of this. But Israel is ultimately saved from King Jabin. I don't have this next part on the slides, but if you want to follow along with me in verse 11 to verse 24, we'll see how the rest of this story plays out, and then we'll apply some of these thoughts for ourselves. So uh, read with me in verse 11. It says there, uh, Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hob- Hobab. I love these names. They're... In- some of you guys really, if you're going to have biblical names, quit David and John and go back to Hobab and some stuff like that. That'd be more fun. Uh, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zenanim, which is near Kadesh. And when Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to the Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from that place to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army of... Herosheth Hagoyim, and the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Verse 17. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord. Turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying, fast asleep from weariness, so he died. That's a mild way to put it, right? So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. They fight 900 chariots of iron, all his men. I think it it seems to be lopsided. We don't get an exact number of how many people they had, but 900 chariots of iron sounds like you have a great army. They fight foot soldiers against chariots and men. They wipe them out. The commander flees. He finds this person whom he has kind of a peace 
peace with, a relationship with. Hey, hide me. Oh, sure, I'll cover you. I'll give you a drink. And then you take a tent peg and a hammer into the head. Um, and he was... She, she, and the line of the night goes to... And he nailed him. Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, and so, and this is one of those weird... How many of you have heard this story before about the tent peg? Okay, it's weird that I remember the first time I heard this was in like children's Bible class. It's like, you know, these fanciful fighting stories and it's like, here's, you know, little seven-year-old John. Yeah, and she took a tent peg and she, it's like, but it's, it's incredible. But who does the glory go to? Her. And we can speculate why, but uh, God uses Deborah in this situation. She uses this, this woman here. And he uses Barak, all of them, to bring about his glory. God raised up a judge. He was faithful to his people. And uh, we see how they're saved here. Now, before I go into some of the thoughts I take away about faith, because we probably have a little bit of extra time tonight, is there anything just from that story, before I share with you what I think, that you would say, I think you can take this message from faith or apply this about faith from the story of Barak and Deborah and all of this? Marty. When Jesus was asked about marriage in Matthew 19, he went right back to the creation and the roles and situation that God set up at creation. And this is going back to that, where the man is supposed to be the leader. Yeah. And the whole flavor of this, even though Deborah is the prophetess and she's the judge, the flavor of it is it's supposed to be guys doing this. She sends for Barak, and he says, I, I don't want to go. Unless you go. Well, then the honor won't go to you. It'll go to a woman. The whole impression is guys are supposed to be taking the lead, and they aren't. Hmm. And so, to me, this is another evidence that none of this male leadership role is cultural. It's all divine. It's God's plan. Yeah. It's not because men are better. It's just because that's the role he's assigned, and we better do it. Yeah. Or it's, it's not going to be right. Now, there, there's truth with that. Um, like we said, he, he t- picks Deborah, and it doesn't specifically say some of the cultural things that maybe we read into. But clearly it's, a, hey, you're not getting the glory because of this. So it seems like God wanted the men. And that's a big issue is leadership and judges, a lack of leadership. And, uh, you know, as men, we do need to step up. I know not all of us are going to fulfill every type of leadership role, but all men should be leaders in their home and leaders uh, and active in the church and spiritual leaders and you kind of see that here. Um, what else do you get? What do you, what do you get about faith from this story? With all that said, yeah, and that's that's what's interesting, right? Is you, you read that story, and because this woman gets the glory, and he says, "Well, I'll go if you go." You think, well, he didn't sound very faithful, and then you get to Hebrews eleven, and he's the one mentioned. So you're like, oh, okay, maybe I. I have misread that a bit. Uh, yes. So I almost see in Deborah as a thing. Not that she's the main person, but you know, Moses had the staff. He had something from God that he could show and say, "This, this is I, I feel better about going out and talking to Pharaoh because I have this, right?" And so he's like. Come with me, help me, and, and it's almost like a security blanket might be a better word for it. Yeah. Even though he was 
the one who did the work, and she said, go do this. It was a uh, knowing that you have God with you in a physical form for Deborah gave him more strength to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, I think they're both representations of faith. They're both doing what's asked of them. Maybe God wanted more from Barak, but yet they're both mentioned at faith. Okay, we're going to go to Bob, then back. Barak did wipe out the army. Yep. 900 iron chariots, all the foot soldiers. He didn't get the villain. Yeah. Which typically in the stories, what do we remember? That is, that, that, that is the cat. Yeah, who got the king or the, yeah. the ultimate bad guy? He had the faith, yeah. but because he chose to include Deborah in this, he didn't get the final yeah. start. So he still had faith because he acted, right? Now, has that been a theme in this whole chapter of Hebrews 11? Like about every single person, by faith they did this. Barak is still active. He is His belief and trust in God, because he gets a message from God through her, and he acts upon it. There is an active faith here. So... He's still a man living by trust. Uh, of last week, but weren't we just saying this last week? Where, you know, our, our faith doesn't have to be perfect. God is a compassionate God, and Jamie was touching on this. But you know, the same pattern of God. We've already we saw this last week. Was it? I don't know if it was Gideon. Was it Gideon? Gideon's a uh, God. Can you give me a sign? God, can you give me another sign? God, how about one so, more sign? <laughs> I see God working with him in the same way. Yeah, I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's, we have faith, but God is, still helps us along the whole way. He has this compassion on us, and he helps us. Yeah. And so he doesn't count it as, you know, I mean, yeah. So anyway, I just, this is exactly what we were talking about last week. Yeah, it's interesting, because there's so many of these stories that seem like they fit, don't they? Gideon is, I want you to do this. Okay, God, is it really you? Give me a sign, you know, the fleece and the bull, and, you know, striking, uh, putting it on, you know, or consuming it. And it's like, would you do it again? And God doesn't get angry when he asks again. And here it's like, well, I'll go if you go. And God doesn't go, Barak, you've missed the whole thing. He's gracious, isn't he? I mean, he's kind in a way that maybe there is a doubt. Maybe there is a bit of insecurity, potentially. And yet he's still still with them. Mike's had his hand up for a while. Then we'll go back to Marty. uh, We need to remember that the story is about Barak. It's not about Deborah. The story is about Barak. Back in the story is about him because he's linked to the story in Hebrews 11. It's not like an odd thing, you know. We mustn't get the idea that, well, the writer should have put in Deborah. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. a starring role. Well, no, the the story is about Barak, and the story here is about Barak, except, as you're pointing out, he was demonstrating... It, the weaknesses of his faith or his, you know, approach, just like Gideon had his whole thing. But there's, there's nothing that says that the main story was about Deborah. The story is about Barak. Yeah, no, I, or and really maybe in a bigger way, the story is just about how God saves his people in this situation. And he uses both of them. And, I, you know, Hebrews is about Barak. They're just, they're, their story is interlocked in a way you can't talk about one without the other. But Barak is the one mentioned. They both show faithfulness. But Barak is what we're talking about. We're applying him, and we will. Marty, then over. We'll, we'll hop, volleyball it. I don't mean this as a criticism of Moses, but like last week with Gideon and tonight with Barak, there seemed to be an inclination towards wanting to do what 
God was telling them to do. They just needed reassurance. With Moses, he was giving God all the reasons. No, you, you made a mistake here. I'm not your guy. So in the end, God actually got angry with Moses. It says his anger burned against him when Moses said, well, just send whoever you want, anybody but me. Yeah. And yet, look what Moses did. It's, it's about finally buckling under, whether you start with the inclination or you have to come to the inclination, just do what God said. Just do it. This is fun because you guys are already starting to talk about things I have written down. I'm letting you figure it out before I tell you. Uh, what you got? She's a prophetess. God speaks through her. God tells her what to say. She does it. Yeah. She's a great. She's a great woman in all of Scripture for sure. Here's a few things, and we've seen some of these. I, this is very simple, right? And I hope you're like, well, that's a very basic application. But, man, so much of this is the same over and over again for a reason. Faith trusts God's message. And I put the dot, dot, dot there because this truth, you know, when God spoke, they acted. What God said, they said, that's truth. That's going to happen as he said it would. Let's do it. And God is still looking for that kind of faith today of those who will see what God has said and then trust that that's God's will and they will live it out. They will take him at his word and they'll act upon it. But what I love about these stories is they take these simple truths of like trusting God's message, that he means what he says and we're going to live by it. And they add some flavor to it. Like faith trusts God's message or believes God's message even when it seems unlikely. Like have we seen that theme? And I don't mean unlikely like God can't do something. But I mean aren't there times where we would look at a situation and say that's not going to happen. And then God does it. Like, can you think of any other stories we've read so far where God has made something unlikely happen? All of them. Whether it's walking around Jericho's walls, whether it's raining and causing the earth to flood, whether it's a child born from a very, very old woman. Like, God's doing this unlikely thing. And so when they hear these messages, don't you think there was a, really? Or even a thought about, that seems unlikely. Like, what did Sarah do when God said, you're going to have a child? She laughed. Like, really, that's going to happen? And, but yet, they, live, they might have that thought for a second. Potentially, could have, some of them. But yet, they still trust. And they still live by faith. Um, whether it's the ark or a child from a barren woman. Whether it's an army of 300 last week who defeat uh, an army that said it was numbered like the sand or like locusts. God's message might seem unlikely or impossible to humanize. But our God doesn't deal in probability. What God says will happen. What God wills happens. That's a certainty. What God decides, re- decides, regardless of man's belief, happens. But he's calling us to take faith to act upon it uh, before we see it happen. See, that's part of the faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things what? Unseen. It takes faith to see things before it happens. Like God's going to resurrect us one day. I can see that already 
Not because of my human experience, but because of what God has willed and my trust in that and what God has done already. And so faith, trust God's message when it sounds unlikely. Faith, trust God's message even when it comes from unlikely sources. You think anyone ever, you think they could have potentially said, God said that, you think, let me rephrase this. You think anyone could have struggled with who the message came from in this situation? Um, you know, it's a woman. Uh, God said that through you, are you sure? I don't know if I buy that. God usually speaks through the guys. Um, she had a good reputation, it seemed. Like they went to her for judgments, but you just wonder, would every man have listened to her? If, they told, if she told them, it's time to go into battle, God has brought this victory into your hand. She might not have been the likeliest source, but Barak had faith that God was speaking through her. Sometimes God's message is shared through unlikely people. Maybe that's a part of a test of faith. Like think of the New Testament, for example. Could God ever use some unlikely people to send his message? How about murderers? Really violent men with violent histories and paths, uh, path, pasts, can't speak. Um, what about men who've done every sin under the sun? Like Solomon, you know, we, we hear truth from him in scripture. And he's a guy who says, yeah, I kind of went and tried everything. I can tell you it's terrible. But God speaks through unlikely people, fishermen, tax collectors, outcasts of all kind. Like today, you listen to a random 28-year-old who was born in Moore, Oklahoma sometimes. And not saying that you listen to my message, but you have to... Listen to that message and say, is that what God actually says or not? And then you have to choose to believe. Like random, unlikely people. That's true for all those who speak uh, for God or on behalf of God. That's those who listen to you. Same thing. Sometimes God uses unlikely people. But faith trusts God's message regardless of who shares it because of who it originally comes from. I'm not saying they believed it because Deborah said it. Why did he believe it? Because it was God who said it. Same thing. Faith trusts God's message even when it sounds unlikely or it comes from an unlikely source. But here's another one I got. That faith acts despite the doubt or the insecurity or the fear we may have. Uh, He said what? I'll go if... It's very possible that it was because he had great faith in how God called her. It also could be that he had some doubts. Or that he had some insecurity in himself. Or maybe he even had some fear. But despite whatever emotion he was feeling, credit to Barak, he went. He acted. That's trust. Uh, he went to fight. Even if there was some fear. What did John, John Wayne, I think is what he said? Courage is what? You know, being afraid and saddling up anyway. Like he went, despite the emotion. Um, he still lived and acted. And that's faith. I think about you and I. We face very real situations in life, don't we? Um, we experience the entire spectrum of human emotion. Like every emotion we face. God made it. Fear, anxiety, um, you know, insecurities, uh, doubt. I think sometimes we think we are wrong for having those emotions that God created us with or to have. God's not angry when we have those emotions. God is calling us to trust him through those emotions. Does that make sense to you? Okay, I have doubt. God's calling me to still live by faith even when I doubt. Or I'm anxious. God's acting, asking me to trust even when I'm anxious or even when I'm insecure. For example, would you flip over to Psalm 46 just for, just for the last few minutes? 
this is a psalm that if you have doubts or anxiety or you're fearful or there's something going on and it's crippling you, this is a psalm to camp out in and spend a lot of time in. Um, but if you just read it with me, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow or bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And here's the verse, ready? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I, I love how he starts with, hey, God's our refuge. He's our strength in trouble. Therefore, we're not going to fear. Though everything around us seems to be shaking and moving and crumbling, we're going to put our trust in God. I don't think what he's saying there is, we're never going to have any overwhelming feelings or emotions. I think what he's saying is we're going to have these things going on around us and they might strike us originally, but we are always going to go back to our God and put our faith in him. Yeah. And you know how he says to do this here? He says, be still and know. And this might have took a turn into another kind of lesson. But I was just thinking about, you know, if if we're struggling right now in our faith, as we try to live by faith and we have doubts and insecurities and fears, listen, that's a human emotion. What are you going to do with it? I hope you would put it back into God or you'll give it to God. And I think one practical thing we can all do in those moments if we're overwhelmed, if we're fearful, if we're anxious is be still and know I'm God. We are so busy all the time. And we're just going and going and we are overwhelmed. And you know, the cure to that a lot of times is we need to stop and sit and be still. And just take a moment and think of we have a God who, who, where there is a river whose streams make glad his city. Like we have a God that shall not be moved. Um, and we need to take some time just to think about that. And that would really help us, I believe, when we're fearful and afraid and, and anxious and overwhelmed. It would help us live by faith. So take some time. If you're in that spot, even if you're not in one of those spots in your life right now, please take some time to be still. And then once you've been still for a little bit, then pray. That's, that's living by faith through your emotions. And I, I, I promise you that will impact you and your situation. Any thoughts about some of the stuff I've babbled on about? Peace of mind, or that's our peace of mind. Yeah. You know, we get from each other and, and so 
We don't know if, if he said, I'm not going to, I'll only go if you go because he was insecure. It's very possible. If he had a fear, if he was timid or had a doubt, if that's the case, I think this is a great application. If it's not, I still think that's true, but you can throw it out the window. Um, but that's one, yeah. He was talking, he was talking about uh, having doubts yeah. and fear. And when we get to that point, we're doing a lot of complaining. We're doing a lot of whining sometimes. I mean, to make it less than what it is. But he's saying just be still. I'll take care of it. Um, yeah, I, I know for me, being still is something I need to work on. So maybe you're there with me. But um, it's a time to, you're flagging me down. What you got? I was just going to say that a lot of times the, uh, the uh, insecurity and the fear and the anxiety and all of that, the reason for that is that we are focused on ourselves our strength, our abilities, yeah. you know, and so on and so forth. And I think I think the connection is when God says, be still yes. and know that I am God, the point is you have to stop and be still and recognize, wait a minute, it isn't my strength, it's his strength. Absolutely. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, it's taking the pause and taking all the attention off me yeah. and my ability or inability and all my... Everything I can't control, and the one who is, absolutely. Um, And so, yeah. I'm not sure if this is an exact quote, but maybe somebody else has heard this, and they can correct me if it's wrong. But somebody said, "Worry is a conversation you have with yourself about things you can't do anything about, but faith is and prayer is a conversation you have with God about things He can always take care of." Yeah, something like that. You'll always find prayer in the Bible, pretty close to a verse about anxiety, for sure. You know, when we come to God in prayer, we're always asking God for what we want. And we know somewhere He may not give us what we want. And what, you know, it, it may be our failing health, and it's not going to come back. It may be our job, and we're not going to get it back. It may be unjust. It may not be what we want. We've got to be still knowing He's God, regardless of what He lets us go through. Yeah. That never work out for us. We can always say, "This is the way I want it to be. Yeah. This is what I would like to have." Sometimes He gives that to us, and boy, it's wonderful. But then other times, it's like, "No, you're not getting it that way." Yeah. And I got other purposes for what I'm doing. Yeah. But we have a God in control who has made a plan for everything to be righted, to make wrongs right, for death to end, all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a good good thought. I hope you got something out of that. That got a little heavy. There at the end. But if you don't want it to be so heavy, just remember, a lady took a tent peg and a hammer. And, and sometime your child heard that Bible story. So there you go. Um, I appreciate you being here.